Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. This is your host, Jenny Wise. And now, before we get started, I wanted to acknowledge that this week's episode is going to be a little different in light of the coronavirus, which is impacting every part of our lives right now. And I hope that all of you are doing as well as possible and staying safe during this time. The impact that it's had on the CX cast is that like many of the widespread closures we're seeing today in every aspect of our life, our podcast studio is closed. But we did still want to give you content during this time in case you're trying to continue business as usual as much as possible or just need something to listen to. So we're recording today from a virtual meeting platform and hope that the quality is okay. The topic of this week's episode is going to be a popular one for the CX cast, which is about employee experience, but we're going to look at it specifically from the angle of employee experience during this pandemic. So to help cover this, I have joining me today virtually VP and Principal Analyst James McQuivy. Hello, James. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. So. I'm thrilled to have you here today because I know you have been doing some research very quickly on the impact of this pandemic on the employee experience. So to get started, could you share a little bit about how you've looked at this topic so far? And I think it would be great to start with, what are you aiming to look at? What are some key questions you're asking? And since our audience is very survey and research minded, what is the methodology that's being used for this quick research? Yeah, certainly. It's a good place to start. You know, in January, when we were first looking at the question of coronavirus and wondering what it might mean, of course, there have been wonderful sources of information available in the market about the health, which is obviously everyone's priority, the health of their themselves, their families, and their workforce. But obviously, beyond the actual health, where I'm not an expert, we did recognize that there is an entirely separate set of concerns that someone's going to have specific to their workplace. And when we were looking at this in late January and into February, we weren't seeing anyone trying to identify, you know, how do people feel about this? Are they worried or not worried? And how does that differ by who you are and what kind of job you have and so on? The kind of thing that people like me just love to explore and, and investigate, but in this case with a bit more urgency than we might have uh, of approached these kinds of questions otherwise. So what we did was we took our future of work team expertise. We got together in, in a room and we said, you know, what are the couple of dimensions that we need to make sure we know how people are responding in their work specifically? So we developed a survey. Now, we did two things with this survey. One, in a hope that we could spread it around the world quickly, we actually posted it on the open internet. We gave it a name. It's called the Pandemic EX. We made a hashtag to try and draw people's attention to it. And we got hundreds of people taking the survey from about a dozen countries around the world. But think about it this way. That was now early March, which is only a few weeks ago, but it feels like it might have been months ago for all that has happened since then. So in early March, we were getting the responses that we needed. So we decided that we would also use a traditional survey panel research method, like the kind we usually use here at Forrester. And we very quickly got a panel provider to supply us with about 470 responses in the United States. So even though we do have some data from around the world, what I'll share with you today is from that U.S. panel-derived sample. We are comparing it to the other data that are coming in from around the world and seeing obvious differences that you would expect when someone volunteers to take a survey versus is recruited to from a particular demographic perspective. But what we're doing with this is simply saying, okay, 
Let's get at the feelings that people are having about coronavirus. Now let's move into the feelings that they have towards their company's ability to handle this, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then just their readiness as they're experiencing restrictions of travel and work and so on. And, I, and remember, this wave of survey data that I'm going to tell you about was fielded from March 3rd to March 6th, which is an eon ago, comparatively speaking. And so we'll talk about the implications of that as we review some of this data together. That sounds great. Um, it definitely sounds a great way, too, to get that survey out there quickly to get a pulse on the situation. And it is incredible that even though this survey was fielded so recently, I'm sure that there have been significant changes in some of the data. But the directionality of it is still going to be really important to talk about. And I'm sure we'll have longer-term implications for employees and companies as they continue to navigate through this. You mentioned that there were a few topics, including the company's ability to handle this, how employees are feeling about this. One of the areas that I've seen a few of the blog posts come out about that you've published is this concept of, of trust and confidence that employees have in their executives and companies to be able to handle this. And I know that many of us probably went through this, right, wondering, well, is our office going to close? How do we, do we know how our company is going to act? What is the internal communication going to look like? So I'd love to dive into that topic. What types of questions did you ask and what did the respondents have to say? I'll start this answer by putting it in some context. You may be aware that when survey experts go out and find out what institutions do people trust, you know, government, media, uh, celebrities, those kinds of studies are done often. And you'll find that they routinely put your employer as one of the most trusted organizations in people's lives. Now, think about that. It doesn't mean employees, employers in general, every company you've ever done, but that's not what we're asking. We're asking is your employer. Now, that's good news that that many people, such a high level in the 70% range to 80% range typically, trust their employer compared to other social institutions. Now, with that in mind, what we're doing is saying, okay, do you trust how they'll handle this particular crisis? Because it's specific and it has particular contours. Well, it, starting out with, before we even ask how they feel about the level of trust they should be giving their employer or the leaders in their organization, we just asked, do you think your company even has a plan for how they're going to manage the risk of coronavirus? And back in the beginning of March, only 43% of U.S. workers agreed that their company had a plan for managing the risk of this. So that's less than half. And that's a little nerve-wracking, we might say, that so few people thought, no. If we actually ask executives, they'll say 51% of them will say their company has a plan, executives and managers of any type. And that's to be expected. They're more familiar with the plan or they're at least more aware that someone up above probably has the right plan. But still, it's bordering around half. So put that again as context when I tell you that we said to people, OK, do you agree or disagree that your company will put your health and well-being first when you're making decisions about the coronavirus? And the answer is. 55% of people believe that. You know, let's take that a couple of ways. It's discouraging on the one half because it means that 45% of people don't think that's going to happen. Now, it doesn't mean that it's catastrophic thinking, but it does mean that, yeah, if, if you ask me to agree or disagree, I'm going to say, you know, a large number of companies are not in a place where people believe that they're going to put their health and well-being first. And we've seen this in some of the communications that uh, some of our contacts have forwarded to us from their company heads, all of which, you know, obviously, we're going to keep confidential. But it's things like, we want you to know that we have a steering committee put together, executives are meeting every day, and it's all about we, 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 we as the executives. We're in charge. We're taking care of this. 
we know that we have to make tough decisions and we're ready to make those tough decisions. This is actually a long-term problem in EX. Very often executives fall into the trap of feeling like they need to communicate strength and confidence first. And so they make their messaging about them. This is not the time that people want to hear that the executives are confident in themselves. They wanna hear that the executives are empathetic, that they're interested and caring about the lives of the people that are coming to work for them or working from home for them increasingly. So this was our first big concern. Now, so then we say, okay, is this just that we're all nervous about uh, the future and we understand that there are going to be concerns or is there specific lack of confidence? So we had another question. We asked people to tell us whether they have confidence that the president or head of their company or organization will handle the coronavirus situation in the best way possible. 48% of workers told us that their president or, or head of their company would do that in the best way possible, 48%. Now, you're starting to see a pattern here. Everything's kind of coming in around the midline. People are saying, yeah, I think we have a plan. Yeah, I think we're going to do well. And yeah, I think they're going to do right by us as employees. And the other half are not. When we start looking for details about what predicts whether you're on one side or other of that line, is it, is it age? Is it what role you have in the organization? You know, there are some differences. And we've written about those in some of our blog posts and our research for Forrester clients. But they're not dramatic differences. Basically, we came into March with a lot of people unsure what was going to happen next. And I'll say that's why, you know, this week while we're talking, we are actually in the field for our second wave in the United States. And we're going to see all these numbers change. Now, how, does my company have a plan? That's going to go up. Is my company going to put my health and well-being first? Oh, boy. I'm not sure it's going to go up based on some of the communications I've received and some of the uh, emails that have been forwarded to me. I know of specific cases where it is going to go up because some executives are doing this, but not all of them. And so, you know, in a few days, we'll be able to tell you whether that moved that needle or not. So there's a lot of really, really interesting findings there. And I cannot wait to see what this next stream of data says about the response. Now, I heard a few things in there that I think are really interesting and also continue into longer term sort of executive communication strategy, right? For example, when you said that the early response is for the executives to signal confidence in themselves and their plan versus responding with empathy and a sort of more specific communication with the employees themselves, right? That's, I think, a really great message to carry forward in any situation that there is. I also think it's interesting to look at this data because you are right that usually when we talk about company trust, it is do you trust the company that you're interacting with to you know, respect your security or use your data correctly um, or in their long-term vision. But the, when you ask that internally or to the thoughts towards your own company, those responses can be different and, and they should be high. I'm curious to hear your response though too, and I don't know if this is part of the survey, there has been a lot of sort of public sharing of how company executives are treating the situation, right? So companies signaling through email communications to all of their clients that they are closing their doors so that their employees can go home and be safe, right? Or that they're adjusting their hours. So it does feel like the way companies have been treating their employees has also become a way to build trust with their end clients and customers too. So do you think that's something that companies also need to be thinking about now in that the treatment of their employees isn't just for the benefit of their own employees, but also because everyone in the ecosystem cares about how the company responds in this type of circumstance? I think you've hit the, really the 
the core lesson that we have learned about the relationship between CX and EX over the last several years, but now is just being brought right to the fore of our vision. We're recognizing that these different constituencies, your customers, your employees, uh, obviously partners and channel partners and so on, everybody's in this together. You know, that's something that you could say and people would nod a year ago and say, oh, I guess that's true. And we have data that shows that EX and CX rise and fall together as is profitability. That's great. But at this moment, it's becoming tangibly clear to people that these things are going to go together. That if you communicate to customers, we're gonna do the right thing for you and our employees, or you communicate to employees, you know, sometimes we have to serve fewer customers in order to keep you safe. Both the customer and the employee are going to receive that as a message of concern. You know, in Italy, actually, when they first started locking people down, they only locked the people down who could be locked down. Warehouse workers, other personnel still had to go to work. Well, that sent a really negative signal to people that, well, we are concerned about the health and wellness of some people and not others. And we've talked about this in our team about how do you make sure you communicate to people because your frontline workers still have to be present at work. Amazon is hiring 100,000 additional logistics and delivery personnel in the next several weeks to, to combat this issue. And at that time, how do you do that? At the same time, send them a message that says, we are doing this in a way that keeps you safe and values you. You add value to the business. That's the way Dave Johnson, uh, one of our principal analysts on the Future of Work team likes to say, it's like, you as a frontline worker, you add value. In fact, without you, we can't deliver value to the customer. And that's a very different message than, oh, we're gonna take the executives to their retreats in Florida while you guys keep showing up to work every day. Very hard thing to balance. But really, it will either come naturally, if you're a company that has already communicated through your employee experience strategy that you value the employee, well, that message will seem completely sincere when you then say to them, all right, we're going to keep you healthy, even though you do have to come to work, and here's how we're going to do it. Take, for example, In-N-Out Burger announced that they were going to reset the sick leave for everybody. So everybody had a full two weeks sick leave, even if they'd already been using their sick leave up until now. They extended those benefits to brand new hires, even though they normally wouldn't get that benefit for six months or so of working. That's a way for them to say, you know, we value what you do for this business and we want to make sure we're here for you to the degree that we can. You know, is that really that different from being customer obsessed from a CX perspective? It's not really. It's understanding that, as I said, we are all in this together. And I think what our survey results in this case told us is that not everyone feels like their executives believe that we are all in this together. I think that's so, so important. And also, you just, I, I could keep talking about this topic, but I just want to put a fine point on one thing and then move on to some of the next findings from this research that you've seen. But I do think this has highlighted, this is something we talk a lot when we talk about the employee experience, is making it clear to every employee how they impact the ultimate customer experience and the role that they play in the entire organization. And I think it has perhaps never been so clear as it is now, the role that every single person plays, right, in this entire ecosystem, no matter what type of industry we're applying it to or goal. So hopefully that is something that is, is strengthened, right, this connection between employees, customers, company, um, and everyone being there together. So I think that's great to point out. Another thing that you looked at, at this in this research was this concept of work disruption. And I think that takes a few different, different angles. There's work disruption in the fact that, you know, I'm now doing this podcast from my office at home and we are connecting over a, a virtual platform. But then there's also work disruption in that 
uh, schools are closed and there's families to care for or sick relatives to care for or yourself to care for. Um, so how did this research look at this sort of concept of work disruption? Well, I will tell you, I'm going to be fascinated to see when our next wave of data come back. Because if you think about this, what we did two weeks ago, we first asked people, you know, have you personally had to work from home to take care of children or family members? Uh, have Has anyone you know at work been exposed to the virus? Those kinds of things. And the numbers in the United States two weeks ago were very, very small, single digit for most of these things. We had about 16% of people saying that they personally had to work from home more than they usually would. And but getting down to 8 and 4% of people that were telling us these things applied to them. But they could all see it coming. And so people were saying in the company at large, we've restricted travel, we've restricted meetings, we've restricted the kinds of, of conferences that we're able to participate in. Of course, I mean, remember, two weeks ago, we still hadn't heard cancellations on major events like South by Southwest. So you know, a lot has happened in these two weeks. And now it just seems, well, of course, all of these disruptions have occurred. But, but two weeks ago, we weren't sure that this was going to happen or when it was going to happen. Now it's happened. And we're seeing, you know, lockdowns in San Francisco. The mayor of New York announced that they're likely to do the same. And all of these numbers are going to go up dramatically in this week's wave of data. And what we're hoping to see is how do then the soft side of these things evolve? Do, as Will people tell us, you know, the difficulty of having your children and your pets interrupt you while you were in a conference call? We're actually measuring a whole bunch of things in this wave that we didn't capture in the first wave, which is which of the following kinds of technologies have you used at home to work from home for the people that can work from home? And we included in there, which of these problems have you had, you know? audio dropouts, video freezes, applications that crash, people that don't know how to turn on or off cameras. We didn't ask about the embarrassing things like the person who accidentally forgot the camera was on and did something maybe they shouldn't have in front of 30 of their colleagues. We're gonna leave that one out for now. But of course, those things are happening. And if you follow Twitter, you've seen some of that. But if we look at that and say, okay, so for example, we're just asking a baseline question. Does your company have the technology resources you need to support working from home? 48% of people believed that was true. Now, and not 48% of people were doing it at the time, but that's how many believed that they were capable. So when we start to see it actually happen, that number might actually come down. People, oh, well, I'm actually using these resources. I, I'm finding out we don't have them. You know, we right now we're talking over WebEx. We've got people using Zoom. We, uh, our experts in security are, t are just warning clients, don't let your employees go outside of the uh, accepted profiles of technology and hardware in the expediency of making work get done. Well, okay, that's true. And that's very important advice. But the employee is left feeling like, well, wait a minute, you want me to work from home and get work done, even though I've got my kids running around, running circles around me, and you're telling me I can't use the you know, Google Hangouts, which happens to work compared to the technology that we have internally that doesn't work right now. That frustration is going to come to the fore, and we're going to measure that and see how it comes out this week and have a little bit of comparison to what was going on before. Obviously, the thing on everyone's mind is if, sure, working from home with the pets or the kids, one thing, but what about if someone starts to get ill in my home? That's obviously the, we hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, and we have employees who are, they're gaming that scenario in their minds. They're imagining what happens if, and that affects the way they're going to work. And then if we ask them this question, do you believe that you have the flexibility in your work schedule and obligations to take care of family members should you need to? If 52% of people say they have that flexibility, it means 48% of people think they don't. They may never need to use that flexibility, but the fact that they don't think they have it 
It's going to affect the way they feel in their work. It's obviously their productivity, but probably more important in the short run, their sense of what we call psychological safety at work. Now, when we talk about psychological safety as a key element of engagement at work, we're typically talking about the safety they need to take risks in the pursuit of business goals. But it's a little bit like a Maslow's hierarchy, and I'll use that comparison because everyone knows it, even though it's sort of flawed from a psychological perspective. But just imagine, I can't even get to the question of whether I have the psychological safety to take risks at work if I don't even feel like I have the personal safety to be safe at work or take care of my family while I'm doing my work as well. So, you know, we're really advocating strongly that employers take that responsibility on themselves because their employees are already expecting them to. And I think those are those are great findings. Um, and it is interesting to see as well the percentage of people who believe their company is ready for this and isn't ready for this. Um, and I also think it's a really important distinction that you made between the different types of um, disruption and forces at play here, right? So there's this tech enablement, um, which we often talk about in employee experience, right? To say, you know, are your employees enabled with technologies to do their jobs? Um, and usually employees don't have high confidence that they are fully enabled to do that in their current state. Now, everyone has been essentially forced in many industries to be a remote workforce, right? So that is going to exacerbate um, these existing problems or lack of tech enablement that um, there already were. Um, and we'll have to see how that plays out. And I also think that psychological safety is really important as well, because it isn't just, can I do my job? But it is, you know, can I do my job given all of these outside circumstances as well? Um, and also mentally taxing circumstances too, right? Are you going to be able to work 100% even if you have all the technology in place when you're worried about this global pandemic or the health of your family member um, or someone that you want to try to care for because they're an immune compromised population um, or your children are home. So that's going to be something that's really interesting to see the balance of. Um, and I think I know many companies have sort of just been thrown into that uh, 100%. And so it'll be interesting to see what that data comes back with um, and how people are feeling about this work from home experience. So this research I think is of course very timely, but is also uncovering a lot of perceptions that employees have um, and also have some future implications for you know, how do employees view their importance at work or their connection to this larger ecosystem? And how are people going to be working in the future? So James, I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the key findings or trends or implications um, that are coming out of this research that are going to impact companies in the long term? Uh, it's a fascinating question. And especially we look at the easy things, like will we still shake hands a year from now? You know, that could actually go both ways. A year from now, people might just say, you know what, we're done with the handshake. Or some people might vigorously come back to it and say, no, we need to show that we've overcome this triumph, this uh, challenge together. That's all, those are all possible and probably less important in the long run. More what we're keeping our eye on is the virtualization of work processes. So many events have shifted to virtual events. We're doing one ourselves. So with our serious decisions colleagues in the next month, uh, those virtual meetings, we're going to figure out that, well, they're not a perfect replacement for in-person meetings. 
but they do solve a couple of problems. They reduce cost of travel. They reduce carbon footprint. They, they, they make it possible for people to shift some of the challenges of their work into a virtual environment, which makes it more flexible for everyone. Now, will that persist? That's, that's probably more important than wondering whether a handshake will persist. Will it become common in some companies where they'll develop a culture of, we do know how to video conference. We know how to take turns so we don't talk over each other. We know that we're going to turn our cameras on so that we can see each other face to face and ensure that everyone's paying attention instead of sort of ghosting the meeting. All of those kinds of practices, those those cultural practices at work, that's going to evolve. And, and we're actually going to recommend strongly that companies try to preserve those cultural learnings that they gathered, in some cases, organically. You know, I, I will say that I found more than one company that's turning into a, let's use Slack, not just for business interactions to keep each other productive, but let's also post, you know, our favorite cat and dog pictures of each other's pets online uh, it, as, a, as a purely organic manifestation of how we stay connected when we don't have that cafeteria or that water cooler to talk around anymore. So those kinds of issues of, of work culture are better. will also be bigger than that. It's, we're going to look at what does this do for automation? You know, automation was already happening. Uh, quick serve restaurants like McDonald's were already moving in a touchscreen self-service mode or app-based self-service mode, probably more appropriate given what we're talking about here at the pandemic. But we do know that there are robots that have been built to grill hamburgers and flip them and package them and push them out to the front of the customer. So some of that's going to happen as well. And that, that bears, you know, that is not something that was caused by the pandemic, but might get pushed over the edge because of the pandemic. That's going to be true of so many other decisions like AI use uh, of managing risk at work. We're also wondering, you know, next time your really important candidate walks through the door that you're trying to recruit, is the first question out of their mouth going to be, how did your company handle the coronavirus pandemic? Because we're going to be thinking about this for years to come. Think of it as the pandemic crisis is the new terrorism of post 9-11. I hate to just bring up two bad things wrote, but it did. It shaped a decade's worth of our business practices and thoughts. And that's likely what's going to happen in this case as well. We're going to be watching all of that and, and taking input from you as we do so. And hopefully uh, as a culture, not just inside of Forrester, but outside of Forrester, we'll learn some really important things about what matters, which as we've been saying through this whole conversation, it's the connectedness of the customer, the employee, and the, and the leadership towards that shared goal. Those are great. Um, and I, I will leave the episode at that. I, that brings up a lot of topics that I'd love to talk about more, and we will definitely talk about in some future episodes. But for those listeners who are interested in hearing more about this research that has been launched into Pandemic EX and is going to have some new results soon, um, James, could you provide them with a quick overview of ways to keep in touch? And then listeners, we will also include some links to these resources in the show notes. As I said, we will have a new wave of data that we'll start reporting on next week. Now, if you're on social media, in particular in Twitter, you can just follow the pandemic EX hashtag and you should be able to see what we're saying. Uh, Forrester's main Twitter account, which is just at Forrester, will also be sharing those results as they come out throughout the next week. Now, I'll just say, and I didn't even mention this before, but we're also replicating this survey in five European countries and a handful of Asian targets over the next week as well. So soon after that, we'll be able to fill in some of those countries and do country comparisons. All very essential because all of these countries are in different places in their press we're all obviously very concerned about our peers and colleagues in all of those countries. So uh, follow the hashtag. An easy way to remember how to get to our, our main 
page that highlights where we are, gives status updates and data updates. It's going to be at bit.ly slash pandemic EX as well. So bit.ly slash pandemic EX. And you can actually, if you want to contribute to the survey, we're leaving the original version of the survey still up and it's still collecting data. And then that is also at bit.ly slash pandemic EX survey. So we'd love to have your participation. Great. Well, James, thank you so much for joining the podcast virtually today. This is our technology test to see what alternative uh, methods of podcasting can be um, for the Forrester CX cast as well. Listeners, as I mentioned, you can see some links to some of the resources that James just mentioned in the show notes and hope everyone is doing as well as possible. And we will speak to you next week. Take care. Thank you.